been an incredible journey. It's been a long one, uh, but it's been good. It really, really has been good. I've heard some of the feedback from many of you and just encouraged by what God is doing. We will be in James chapter 5, uh, verse 7 to 11. And so if you have uh, your Bible here or an electronic device uh, that has a Bible on it, would you meet me in James chapter 5, verse 7 uh, to 11. What I'll do, like I always do, is I'm going to read it. I'll read it to you, um, and then I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to do something incredible. I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you pray for me, all right, that God would meet us where we are. James chapter 5 from verse 7. Hear these words of our Father. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Right, James is onto something here. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it continues uh, to act and transform the individual lives of people. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would do that this morning, that you truly would meet us where we are, that we've all come in from uh, various realities and various struggles. And so, Holy Spirit, would you cause our hearts to be still before you, that we might truly hear from you. And as that happens, Father God, that we would see that we are in desperate need of a Savior, and that Savior is you. Lord, I pray against any distractions here this morning. I pray against the evil one whose desires are to steal, kill, and destroy, that his desires are to plant doubt in our hearts. And so, Lord, I'm asking for your protection. And so, Lord, it's to that end that I ask that you would stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, you are our King, you are our Redeemer. Would you have your way in this place? In Jesus' beautiful, beautiful name we pray. Amen. In 2009, I parted with a large sum of money. It's probably the only time in my life where I, I was excited uh, to receive a SMS from the bank telling me that that money had just left my account. You see, in 2009, I proposed to my then-girlfriend, now wife. And so that meant that I had to get an engagement ring. And not just any engagement ring, but a diamond engagement ring. Because I am told that diamonds last forever and that they are a girl's best friend. And so I had to learn a lot about diamonds in that season. I learned about clarity and color and cut, carrot. I learned so much about diamonds. In fact, I thought it was necessary to understand how a diamond was created. 
if I was going to give away that amount of money, surely I should know where it comes from. And so I learned that a diamond is actually made of carbon. Right? It's made of carbon, and its initial uh, essence is carbon. And that carbon is buried beneath the earth at about 160 kilometers, what they call the earth's mantle. And then heat is applied to that carbon. 1,200 degrees Celsius. Uh, to give you a little bit of context, gold is melted at about 1,000 degrees Celsius. And so this is pretty hot. About 1,200 degrees Celsius. And then compression is then applied to that carbon. 50,000 kilograms per square centimeter. That's about eight African elephants sitting on an area about this big. And so carbon is buried at 160 kilometers 1,200 degrees Celsius, heat is applied to that carbon, and then compression, 50,000 kilograms. And then it's left there for an extended period of time. But it doesn't end there. After some time, it is violently brought to the surface, usually by a volcano, where it cools. And then we have a diamond. See, some might say that a diamond is just carbon that has experienced trials for an extended period of time. See, I tell you this because I know for many of us, uh, to continue with the illustration, many of us want to be seen as diamonds in the eyes of our Father. We want to shine like a diamond in the sky. <laughs> I think Rihanna was onto something. In fact, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 17, God refers to his people as precious jewels. We all want to shine to the glory of the Father. We, we want our lives to mean something. We want our lives to be valuable, much like a diamond. See, the, the only problem is many of us, we don't want to experience the trials that mold us and shape us and prepare us so that we might shine like a diamond. And all of us, all of us, all of us, if you want your life to have some form of significance, you have to go through some form of trial. The Scriptures tell us this over and over again. See, we, we want to be great. We want the destination, but we don't want the process. We don't want the journey. See, many of us will, will look to, to individuals like Moses and be like, wow, Moses, what an incredible man. What an incredible story. I want to be like Moses. But we don't want the process. Moses, prince of Egypt, had everything he wanted at his fingertips. 
but had to go through the process of 40 years in the desert tending sheep. He had to be patient. God had to mold him and shape him and prepare him so that he might be ready to tend God's sheep. We look to the cross. See, many of us, we we want the victory of Sunday, but we don't want to touch the agony of Friday. We don't want to sit in the silence of Saturday. We don't want to be patient. God, give me victory. And he's like, well, I need to take you through this process. I need you to be patient. See, James realized that this was necessary for the people that he was leading. They were going through trial. They were were experiencing persecution and suffering. And he said to them, brothers and sisters, I need you to be patient. God is at work. He has not left us. I need you to be patient. Look with me in verse 7. He says, therefore, basically saying, in light of everything that I have said to you, all the imperatives, imperatives, a, a fancy theological term meaning commandments, all the commandments that I have given you in the midst of your suffering, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient. Be patient. This, this word patient simply means to suffer Long. Patient endurance under aggravation. The literal meaning of this word is long-tempered. James says, brothers and sisters, I need you to be long-tempered. I need you to be slow to anger. See, this implies being in a situation where your temper will be tested. Be patient. But but listen to the promise. Listen to the promise that, that the call for us to be patient has an expiry date. He says, until the Lord's coming. So it's not just be patient and well, we'll see what happens. But he says, I need you to suffer long. I need you to suffer long until the Lord's coming. That it has an expiry date. And we can anchor ourselves in that. But this patience is not passive submission, but rather a patient, expectant waiting on the Lord. To be patient demands an attitude that shows long-suffering in the presence of affliction and injustice. This is something all of us can connect with. We understand Affliction, injustice. And so we we often ask the question, what am I to do? James says, I have a word for you, be patient. Be patient until the Lord's coming. To make sure that they understood exactly what he meant, James provides an illustration. Look with me, he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. See, all farmers, 
all farmers, all farmers, they put in the work. They grind. They work hard. Working the soil. Eagerly awaiting the rains. All farmers must patiently submit to this process. The, the process of working the land. Getting it ready. Hoping that rain would come. They, they must submit to this process. To fight against it. To clinch their fists or point to the barren land and cry out, Mealies! would be fruitless. But many of us, we do that, don't we? I have nothing against those who speaking of, hey, we should speak things into existence. Sure, let's do that. But, but James says, look to the farmer. He grinds. He works hard. He must submit to this process. They do this every day. They get up early in the morning and work the lands and they go to bed. And they wake up the next day and work the lands and go to bed. They, they don't just sit there huffing and puffing and crying that this is not fair. Why is nothing happening? They, they don't do that. They grind. They put in the work. But they do this trusting in God all the way through. God is the golden thread that runs through this work, this grinding, this waiting, this expecting something to happen. They trust Him. In submitting to God's process, they will inevitably undergo stressful times when it appears that the rains will never come. But these times can be spiritually beneficial to them as they call upon their faithful God. There's a saying, the, the soul would have no rainbow if the eye had no tears. This is something that we all need, not just farmers, but all of us. This waiting. Because in that time, in that season, we are to draw nearer to Him, to trust Him. So the farmers, they wait in positive confidence that the process will take place and that there will be a harvest. This is the heart that we are to have. We're to be patient. See, the key is to submit expectantly to His hidden timeline, trusting wholeheartedly in His Goodness. This is something many of us, we, we just, we cannot do. We, we live in the, what I call, instant delight generation. I want it and I want it now. I, I mean, just to show how impatient I am, I, I'll, I'll stick my coffee in the microwave and I, I only need to wait 30 seconds, but I can't. And so I press the button and I've got to find something else to do. 30 seconds. James calls us to be patient. James recognizing that patience, patience won't come easy. See, there is no theological degree for patience. There is no New York bestseller that will give us the necessary tools to be patient. 
In fact, theologians say that many of us, we don't even pray for patience. Because we recognize that asking for it means we realize we are going to have to endure something we don't want to. And so I don't even want to ask for it. So James says it again. For those maybe who are trying to come up with ways to, to not have to uh, go through this, for, for those who feel like, man, I really don't want to, to sit in this waiting room called patience, uh, you're trying to find another alternative, James says, no, 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 I'll say it again. Verse 8, you also must be patient. But again, he reminds us of the promise that's connected to being patient. He says, strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. The soon return of Jesus requires that we have strengthened hearts, that we have established hearts, that we have anchored hearts. Hearts that are rooted in Jesus and His eternal renewal of all things. That's the call. If you are to make it, if you are to persevere, if you are to endure, then you must anchor yourself in Jesus. Remembering that He is going to return and make all things new. So James, often informing us that patience is not passive. Remember, we are like the farmer. We are to work. We are to grind. It's not passive. It doesn't mean just sitting there and going, oh, well, hopelessly. Everything is not going to work. Everything is up in flames. Oh, well. James says, no, 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 no. You're to, you're to continue to grind. This grace that you have received, it, it will give you all that you need to grind. And so be patient. He then challenges our attitudes. After telling us that patience is not passive, he then challenges our attitudes. He goes for the heart. James says that true patience, true steadfastness, true biblical long-suffering will ensure that you don't complain. It will ensure that you don't complain. Look with me. It says, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Some translations say, do not grumble against one another. See, because Jesus, James is writing to a, a Christian Jewish audience, when they hear those words that do not complain, do not grumble, they, they immediately think of the Israelites in the desert who grumbled, who complained. So much so that a 14-day a to 6-week trip turned out to be a 40-year journey. Something that they could have, could have gotten over in about 14 days to 6 weeks, depending on how long it takes you to move about a million people, took 40 years. 40 years because they grumbled and complained. My question to you, Rooted, 
says, are you complaining and grumbling? God wants to take you somewhere. But because of your complaining and grumbling, it's going to take a lot longer to get there. You're sitting there and you're frustrated and you're like, God, how, how much longer? How much longer? Not realizing that you're complaining and grumbling. Complaining and grumbling. Complaining and grumbling. I hope that our, our trip to where God wants to take us will not be longer than it should be. Because we have fixed our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. And that we are trusting Him. And that we are anchored in Him. But because this waiting room called patience can be difficult, and I know it can. I know it can. When preparing for this, I looked at the text and I was like, man, I am the chief sinner of this. This is difficult. When God says, this is what I want to do, and I'm like, why is it taking so long? Why is it so difficult? It feels like there are landmines everywhere. The people are pushing back. When we're trying to go forward. This is difficult. This is incredibly difficult. And so, because James is aware of that, he, he doesn't just leave us. He goes, no, hold on. I know you're going to need some inspiration. I know you're going to need some inspiration. If you're to keep going, you're going to need some encouragement. It's a little bit like this. Uh, I was in a boarding school in high school, some good times. And, uh, and if you walked in any of the guys' rooms, you would see on the wall posters. It was posters of their favorite rugby players. Posters of their favorite football players. Posters of men that they admired. I know many of us, we probably have those in our homes. Or maybe on our computers. Or maybe on our phones. That we just want to be inspired. Something that I can look at when I'm going through a difficult time. And I'm like, man, I just need some inspiration. James says, you guys are going to need some encouragement. And so James then points us to the prophets. He points us to the prophets. In verse 10, he says, Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. James reminds us that the prophets of the Old Testament endured hardship, yet practiced patient endurance. We can take them as examples that can become our inspiration. Let me give you a few. Jeremiah stands out as someone who endured mistreatment with patience. He was beaten and put in the stocks, thrown into prison and lowered into a pit, yet he persisted in his ministry. He remained patient. Elijah was threatened by the wicked queen Jezebel after his confrontation with the prophets of Baal on the Mount of Carmel. And he had to run for his life, but he remained faithful. He was patient. 
Amos was insulted by the chief priest at the sanctuary in Bethel and told never to prophesy there again. But he remained faithful. He was patient. I could tell you of Zechariah and Hananiah. The list goes on and on and on. But the, the, the example is what we are to follow. To be patient. We know God has called us to something. And it's difficult. It's difficult to get there. We don't just give up. We endure. We should be patient, willing to suffer long. To suffer long. Can I say this real quick about prophets? I found it interesting as I was reading this. Especially in a day and age where, where everybody wants to be a prophet. Right? There's prophet so-and-so and prophet so-and-so. And with it, apparently, comes the good life. But when I read the Old Testament, when I read the Scriptures, I don't think anyone was like, I can't wait to be a prophet. I don't think people were signing up to be prophets. Because it was not an easy life. It was a, a calling to suffer, a calling to be patient, long-suffering, because you had this message that people did not want to receive. That's why I feel like James goes, no, let's look to the prophets for inspiration and for encouragement. These are individuals who remained faithful despite their circumstances. James' point is that prophets suffered not because they did anything wrong, but because they were doing something right. He says here, they spoke in the Lord's name. And these prophets suffered. They suffered, but they did so with class and brave endurance. Brave endurance. See, from the divine and scriptural perspective, such conduct, such brave endurance deserves a beatitude. And so James says, see, we count as blessed those who have endured. James finds it necessary to, to lift them up, those who will follow in their example, to lift them up and say, you are like the Beatitudes that are found in Matthew. Your life is so beautiful. It is a sweet fragrance to the Father when you remain patient. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. Blessed, blessed. This word blessed uh, just simply means to experience shalom. To experience shalom. Now, for many of us, we, we hear the word shalom and we, we simply think uh, it means peace. It, it means that, but so much more. Uh, shalom speaks to this, this universal flourishing. This universal delight where everything just seems to be working so beautifully together. Blessed, blessed, blessed are those that in the midst of everything that you are going through, because you endure, because you remain patient, because you are anchored in Christ, you're able to experience a bit of that. 
you're able to experience a bit of that shalom. Longing for this ultimate shalom that awaits us. You can experience a bit, a bit of that today. Having lifting, lifted up those who endure to a place of honor, James then gives the ultimate example of patience in the midst of suffering. Look with me. He says, you have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. James says, look at Job. That's the, 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 the amazing poster that's in your room, whether that was Michael Jordan or Mara Donna or Steve Jobs. I don't know who it was, but we may have all these different posters, but there's that one. That one when you are like, listen, I just, I, I, should I quit? Should I end it all? You have that one that you can look to and go, no, I can keep going. James says for us, that's Job. He says, look to Job. In fact, biblical historians tell us that when someone displayed great steadfastness through all kinds of trials, aggravations, or frustrations, the people would say, that person has the patience of Job. The patience of Job. See, Job's patience stands out because Job's story is extreme in the amount of suffering he endured. Job lost all of his children. All of them at the same time. I mean, imagine going to a funeral with ten caskets in front of you. He lost all his wealth in a single day. He was then covered in painful sores. And his wife offered him no support. In fact, she encouraged him to give up and curse God and die. Marriage counseling, maybe? <laughs> Adding to Job's pain, his friends falsely accused him of wrongdoing and blamed his troubles on his unrepented heart. I'm sure Job felt like he was buried about 160 kilometers. That there was this heat coming from all angles. I'm sure he felt that he was being compressed. Yet he endured. He endured. Through it all, Job patiently endured. Not to say that he didn't complain. In fact, what the Old Testament says, lament. Something that you and I should do. Because I believe that, that God would rather have from us honest complaining than false praising. Something that many of us do. We show up to, to times like this with a smile on our face. How are you doing? Great. God is good all the time. When in reality, inside you are wrestling. You are hurting. You are anxious. So we should follow the example of Job. Because he complained. He patiently endured, but, but he was honest about where he was. God would rather have your honest complaining than your false praise. 
But yet surprisingly, in the midst of his despair, we learn that Job is confident that God would not forget him. If you read the story of Job, I mean, it's crazy what happens. It's crazy what happens, especially with his friends. I mean, this just goes on and on and on, where they're just like, they're trying to figure out, Job, what did you do? This is all on you. In Job chapter 19, verse 25, in the midst of all of this, he's lost everything, everything, everything. He is confident that God has not forgotten him because in verse 25 of chapter 19, he says, but I know that my Redeemer lives. But I know that my Redeemer lives. This is important for us to know. It's important for us to know that we should not let our emotions cloud what we know. We should not let our circumstances cloud what we know. Well, what do we know? Our Redeemer lives. Our Redeemer lives. You, you feel alone? But my Redeemer lives. I feel anxious, but my Redeemer lives. I feel like my marriage is falling apart, but my Redeemer lives. Financially, I'm like, what's going to happen? I have no idea what's going to happen, but my Redeemer lives. Sickness? But my Redeemer lives. doesn't matter what you're going through. If you have crossed the line of faith, if you are a Christian, if you trust in Him as Lord and Savior, you, together with Job, can say, in the midst of everything, my Redeemer still lives. I can hold on to that. Job was patient. He was steadfast. He suffered long. Knowing that his Redeemer lives. That his Redeemer lives. The very greatness of Job lies in the fact that in spite of everything which tore at his heart, he never lost his grip on his faith. And he never lost his grip on God. Job's faith is no groveling, passive, unquestioning submission. Job struggled and questioned and sometimes even defied, but the flame of faith was never extinguished in his heart. Can that be said about you? Do people look at your life and everything that you're going through because let's just be real. We all know, we all know that all of us go through stuff. So stop pretending because it's, it's so much work to pretend. So much work. On top of everything that you're going through, and then you want to add pretending to it. My hope is that we would be remembered like Job is remembered. Remain steadfast. We persevered, we endured in the midst of everything because we were able to hang on to Jesus knowing that our Redeemer lives. James's concluding sentence wraps up his very point very beautifully. He says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful. 
See, we must not allow ourselves to be influenced by others or influenced by the devil to think that God is cruel. God is not cruel. Far from it. Far from it. God is not unloving, uncaring, unfaithful, any other un that don't present God as he is. And yet the evil one will do everything to whisper that in our voice when we are at our lowest. That he doesn't care for you. That he doesn't love you. And he will use the situation of others. Oh, look, they're the ones getting the promotion. And you show up to church every Sunday, God doesn't love you. Always a bridesmaid. And you're better looking than her. I did everything right, and yet my financial situation is not coming together. God must not love me. God must not care for me. Why should I remain faithful when he is not to me? The sickness that I carry or, or the sickness of, of my loved ones. Surely he must not love me. Or maybe it's something that I have done. What, what have I done? Where, where have I gone wrong? should not think of God that way. He is compassionate and merciful. God has the Father's heart, the perfect Father's heart, even when He allows darkness to come. He still has the Father's heart. God cannot be unkind to His children. In fact, Isaiah 49 tells us this. Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb, even these may forget. Which happens. The, the relationship that exists between a mother and a child after, after carrying that child for nine months, and yet a mother will still forget. Isaiah writes, the depth of that love cannot be compared to the love the Father has for us. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. The commitment the Father has to us. And if you're sitting here and you're wondering, is that commitment legit? Is it real? We just look to the cross. All of us can look to the cross and see the Father's commitment. That He sent His Son. That's evidence that He cares for us. To die on the cross, body broken, blood shed, so that we might be forgiven and reconciled back to the Father. He loves you more than you can ever imagine. All of you. All of you. All your good and all your bad. 
God receives you. I said this a couple of weeks ago. He doesn't take you and hold on to the receipt going, man, at any point I'm going to take this thing back. He, he doesn't look at you and go, mm, it's broken. What does the contract say about this again? He takes you knowing fully, knowing fully that you are going to sin over and over and over again. Even, even when you show up here and you hear a sermon like this and we sing a song and you're like, Lord, I will never commit that sin again. And you find yourself on Wednesday doing the very same thing you did the week before. God still looks at you and says, I love you. I love you. I am molding you and shaping you and changing you and transforming you to become more and more like my son. But I love you. And that molding and shaping and transforming usually happens in the midst of trials. When we feel that we are being buried, when we feel that there's heat coming from all directions, when it feels like the room is just getting smaller and smaller and smaller, when we feel like I've been here for a long time now, God, when, 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 how long, O oh Lord? I believe for many of us, his response will be, be patient. I have not left you. I have not forgotten you. Be patient. Not recognizing that we are becoming more like diamonds. We're transforming. We're, we're beginning to have value in what he is calling us to do. That we will be prepared when that time and that season comes. Be patient. God, he is compassionate and merciful. And you see, with this truth, with this truth, we can anchor ourselves in him. He's compassionate. Some translations say he's full of compassion. And then James connects this compassion to mercy. God is full of compassion as he cares for us in our misery. And he's full of mercy as he forgives us of our sins. All of which says to those who are undergoing hardships, God is good. Do you know how powerful it is to say that and to actually mean it in the midst of trials? Not, not as a, a, a cheesy Christian cliche, but to genuinely show up and be like, guys, my life is a mess. My work situation is horrible. My kids are driving me up the wall. My, my relationships are just falling apart. I feel like no one loves me. You know what I do know? You know what I do know? Is that my Redeemer lives. That He's full of compassion. That He's merciful. That my God, my God is a good God. He's a good God. 
Are times hard? Are you feeling alienated from God? If so, consider James's examples. The perseverance of the prophets and the perseverance of Job. If we endure, we will be counted as those who are blessed. For we will draw near to Him and we will see Him rightly as a compassionate and merciful God. A Father who loves us more than we could ever imagine. And when we are at that point, and that's my hope, that really is my hope, is that we would be at that point when we're there, when, when we're able to see God for who He truly is, regardless of what's happening around us, we'd be able to sing together with Horatio Spafford, who lost all his children at the same time. We'd be able to sing together with him, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot. Whatever my lot. Whatever my lot. Whether it's sickness, financial difficulty, tough relationships. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Friends, that's my hope. If I am to be faithful with James's words, and I should be able to confidently say that's his hope. That's his hope for us. It's going to require us to be patient. Hold on. Just a little bit longer. God is good. Our Redeemer lives. Trust Him. Anchor yourself in Him. So that whatever comes your way, you would be remembered as those would sing, it is well, it is well with our souls. And this, this we should know. This we should know. Let's pray. And so Lord, we, we come now, having heard the words of your faithful servant, James, speaking to a suffering, persecuted group of individuals in desperate need of hope. God, I want to acknowledge that to some degree we are like them. That all of us are going through something, that we're wrestling with something. My hope is that we would be honest enough with ourselves, honest enough with others that, that we need help. And the beauty, the beauty of the church is that, God, you have designed us for fellowship so that we might carry one another's burdens. We were not created to live in isolation. We were not created to pretend. 
So God, I pray for those sitting in front of me. I pray for their hearts, Lord. I pray that you would soften their hearts. That those who have been running, that they would stop and turn to you. That they would stop holding on to all these other things, hoping to find life and meaning and satisfaction in them. They'll never be enough. God, we need you. And so even now as we sing in response to your word, Father, I pray that we would reflect for a moment, that these wouldn't just be words on a screen, but they would be the cry of our hearts. We want to know you as King, as the one who is seated on the throne, fully in control, aware of everything that we're going through. And yet at the same time, you are friend, you are close. But the tomb is empty because of the finished work of Jesus. Christ, you continue to work for us as you intercede for us, as you pray for us by name, as you pray for our every situation that you know about. And so Lord, I pray that our hearts would respond to that. You are a good God, a good Father, full of compassion and merciful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes I feel you, sometimes I don't, sometimes I hear you, sometimes I won't. This I know, I know, I know, I know that in the midst of my burdened heart and heavy soul with nothing going my way and everyone wanting to give way in the midst of my weakened thoughts and blacked out brain, your word will not choke, O Lord, it certainly will not suffocate for he brings joy to my heart and calmness to my head, see. I am just a girl in need of a savior, but I know that only your word is my remedy for he keeps me revived, revitalized, renewed, restored, rooted, my ever so chant. There I am lounging in the comfort of my hands. I know it's a blessing, but I can't help it. Every now and again, I get carried away believing I deserve it. This I know I no, I know, I know that despite all of that, Chaufetuhi are 
says our do's and our don'ts there by the day the rays of each may reflect the splendor of your majesty this i know i know i know i know that this can only be supernatural some days I even forget to remember me, your glory so humongous. My brain finds it impossible to fathom. I mean, Louis Vuitton, Prada, Odoshi, and Gabbana. And I hear some say Calvin Klein, Edopu, or that all stars are timeless. But still, because you, O Lord, are self existing God that is clothed in splendid glory. This I know, I know, I know, I know that nobody begins to compare to you. For your beauty, Lord, is one that a hundred billion women would devote their whole entities to just imagine this I know I know I know I know that a privileged honor indeed it is to be granted a title that is related to you in this I know close every gathering with a benediction um, and this morning I, I'm going to ask that, that if you want to leave that you would leave quietly and, and continue to fellowship outside I want to create a space for folks who maybe just want to sit for a moment maybe you want to stand for a moment maybe you want to talk to someone, maybe you want to pray but we want to create that space and, and so there will be a, a few folks up front to pray with you and for you uh, to talk to you because I, I don't want to pretend or assume that you're going to walk out of here and you'll be fantastic and you'll be great. For many of you, your situation will stay the same. Your reality will stay the same. That for many of us, we carry things that we may have to carry until Jesus returns. But because of Jesus and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to endure. We're able to carry on. We can remain patient until the Lord's coming. So before I read the benediction to you, I will ask that you would take the hand of the person next to you. This just communicates that we are wired for community, that God has designed us for fellowship, that we need one another. And you may not think that, 
may not think that, but the reality is we need one another. And so hear these words from our Father that come to us as a blessing. Taken from Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 5 says, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. And so Father, we want to leave as transformed people. As men and women who've been transformed by your word that reminds us over and over and over again that God, you are compassionate, that you are merciful, that you are slow to anger, that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so, God, I'm asking for a move of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, you would come in here like a rushing wind, that you would upset our ordinary, everyday routines, that where we just tell ourselves we're okay and we'll make it, and if we just hang on, that I've got all the intellect that I need, that I've got all the resources that I need, that I've got all the social connections that I need. turn all of that on its head? Would you move us out of this place of mediocrity? God, we want to live for you. We want our lives to be filled with joy, regardless of our circumstances. We want to be like Job, who's able to say, my Redeemer lives. Redeemer lives. Would you meet us where we are? We're in desperate need of a Savior. In desperate need of a Savior. That Savior has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of Lords. He is seated on His throne. All things were created for Him. By him, he sustains everything. So that's who we cry out to. We love you, Lord. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.